All right. Hello, and welcome to the Bootstrapped Experience podcast, where each week Bjorn and I talk about running our SaaS businesses. So, what have you been up to, Bjorn? Yeah, it's been a busy few weeks, I think. Uh, been enjoying myself. I, I managed to crash my whole computer, crash and crash. I messed up the DNS settings and like Apache and Nginx and all this stuff deep within my system. And I just couldn't get it to come back from it. So I wasn't able to develop or access any of my apps and stuff. So I figured it was time to reset everything. Wow. Yeah. And I haven't done it in like 10 years or something. (laughs) (laughs) So I felt like my computer, obviously, it wasn't slow or anything like that. But you just I just knew I'd been messing with things for a long time. So I wiped the entire thing and then started reinstalling everything using Brew and all that type of stuff. So it was good. Yeah. I always wonder if I should... Do that and switch from like something like Homebrew and uh, I use Laravel Valet to like Docker and just keep everything contained. But it seems like such a like I know it's going to take me three days and I just don't want to deal with it. So no, but it was surprisingly like it took me one well it took me a whole night first trying to work out if I could recover right. But Time Machine only wanted to go back a few hours and <laughs> that was too late. You know that was after <laughs> I'd messed things up for once and for all. But oh, that's um, rough. yeah, but then yeah, it took me the day after to get everything set up again. There's some good scripts out there that do a lot of the work for you, and it's been nice sort of having a pristine system. And obviously, you have iCloud backup and like your desktop and everything else. So and documents and Google Drive and all that stuff. So I didn't lose any files as such, but just had to reinstall everything. And then it's like you forget. So I had to jump on a Zoom call and say, oh, hang on, I need to install Zoom again. <laughs> so then, yeah, do that. But um, yeah, it was, it's pretty good. I use Homebrew as well. And just using that a lot more instead of downloading apps and, and different things. So it's been good. I've been a bit more careful in how I set it up this time and everything runs really nicely. So it's good. That's cool. So with Laravel, we have Laravel Valet, which pretty much sets up the web server and everything else for you. Is there an equivalent for Rails or do you have to kind of install Nginx and stuff yourself? No, it basically does it by itself. So the default web server for Rails is called Puma. And there's a, a thing called Puma Dev, which is like a background service, which allows you to sort of, it keeps a dev server running in the background. And that's actually the whole thing that I was messing up. I was using something before called POW. And the reason for using these is so that you can have a custom domain for your development service. So you don't just go to localhost 3000 or whatever, but you can go to like autoprinterpro.test and that will route to that particular app. So I can have multiple web servers up and running at the same time so I don't have to keep setting each one up as I move between projects and stuff. And yeah, so you install this uh, Puma dev or it comes with Puma to handle the actual routing and DNS on your local machine and starts it up in the background and stuff. So it kind of comes with the batteries rails. So That's cool. Yeah, that sounds pretty much like Laravel Ballet, same thing. You get your uh, domain name .test and uh, yeah, it's pretty nice. I've actually been using this thing lately. I really like it's The company's called Beyond Code and the product is called Expose. And so that's been really good for webhooks because it, it's kind of like ngrok where you get a tunnel, you can route requests to your machine from the outside world. But the thing I really like about it and convinced me to pay for it is you can get a permanent domain on there if you want. So when you when you start up Expose, you get because I was using like ngrok and Tunnel and like you have to like go and update like your application settings on whatever client you're using and all that. And so that's been really useful. Yeah, I've used ngrok as well, and they do have like a where you can pin it to a specific domain. But the issue there was because it's routing from. It's like hooking up to a local dev, but if you're multiple developers working on the same application, 
they're all routing to the same. So, you know, sometimes I'd be accessing it and I'd be hitting some, one of the other guys' local development server, right? Because they've got the <laughs> tunnel already open. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, there's a bit of a pain once you, you got to multiple machines. Yeah, so I've used Engrok and I just find it a bit clunky to work with if you're multiple people. But I'll check out this uh, expose. I'll drop a link in the show notes as well. Yeah, I don't know if they have any solutions for multiple developers, but for just me, it's been great. Yeah, nice. The nice part about doing this uh, Puma Dev release is, is that we can all use the same domain and it's not routing externally. So it's a faster setup. You're not going to some server halfway around the world to then come back and hit your own local development machine. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's been good. Yeah, other than that, been doing a lot of like organizing. We had our planning meeting, uh, like I talked about last time. And part of that was to like be more structured in Basecamp and in just organizing our work. And we just sort of started on this whole shape up style process for work. I'm not sure if you've read the book. I have. I really like it. I think it's really smart. Yeah. And I think the thing that I get the most value from is the cycle. So you've got like set periods where everyone starts something new and then everyone stops at the same time. And of course, what you're working on is different, but it means that organizing and keeping momentum is a lot easier because you know that, hey, you just don't have, like some projects take a lot longer, some a lot shorter. So it's really hard to stay organized within that and making sure that everybody knows exactly what they're going to be working on next or whatever. Yeah, so I've been trying to implement that for our projects and, and things that we've got going on. And then we're going to try using like these cycles where basically we'll have, they talk about six-week cycles, but that I'm thinking of doing monthly cycles. It works better with one of the developers who's only working with us like part of the month. So if it was every six weeks, you'd sort of get out of sync. So yeah, that's been uh, been really interesting. Because your development team is three people now, right? You and two others? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. And we're all working on slightly different things, but it, I think it makes sense to to try and organize it. And a lot of the, the shaping up stuff is is planning it more beforehand and having a clearer idea of what you want to get done in what amount of time. So you say, right, for this particular task, we only want to spend two weeks on it. And that changes the solution that you go for a lot, right? Instead of just going, oh, we need to build this. And then it takes four weeks where it's like, ah, well, okay, that became more complicated than we wanted it to be. What could we have built if we limited the time to two weeks? So it's, it's more thinking about fixed time variable scope, I think is how they talk about it. Yeah, that's awesome. So I actually used to work as a product manager before I started my own business. And like ShapeUp, at least I didn't know about ShapeUp. I'm not exactly sure how old it was, but it really would have made a lot of things easier. I really like that fixed time scope thing. Yeah, I think that's the cool thing you get out of it. And we'll see about the four week, six week stuff, but two weeks like Scrum style, it's just too short to get anything meaningful done or to be able to immerse yourself in something. It'll be interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, good luck. I'm curious to hear how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I think it makes me realize that I need to pull myself out of doing and more planning, right? Because obviously I'll have to assign part of each cycle to be shaping the next cycle of work, which is good, I think, to sort of pull myself out of the, the day-to-day stuff uh, a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, what have you been up to? Obviously packing. Um, you can see the giant mess behind me on our video call. <laughs> Getting there. But business-wise, I've been thinking a lot about marketing, of course, and doing some dev stuff. So marketing-wise, I talked to an SEO agency that you recommended. They seem great. 
pretty excited about that. Only downside is that they don't do technical content, so I'm kind of on the hook for writing for now. But I think my goal is to sort of, I have a plan in place, which I didn't before. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Are you looking to do like a certain number of articles or are you just... Uh... Yeah, I'm going to aim to do like one a week writing it myself. I don't know if that's doable for me, honestly. <laughs> You're shaking your head now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think for me at least that's way too much. But uh, I know, yeah. we'll see. You know, it's funny though, so we record on Thursdays and I'm kind of planning on making that a content day. We do the podcast, I do a mastermind with a couple other SaaS business owners before this and maybe spend the afternoon writing and see see what happens. I, I feel like I'm really slow with writing, so one a week may be way, way too ambitious, but I'll see what I come up with. I think also it depends how in-depth it is, like what the topic is, is it a technical article, all that type of stuff, like, hey, I did this, this is how I solved it. You know, that that can be quite short, but if it's like an in-depth how-to guide or something, it's it's maybe a bit bit longer. Well, that's the problem too, is like, I think that some of the research is going to be difficult. So like, I was like, obviously my first article is probably going to be how to localize a Laravel application. No problem, I know that like the back of my hand. But then one of the big keywords would be React internationalization. I don't do React. So that's like a ton of research to write a good article on that. So yeah, I'm probably going to at least look at hiring out for something like that. But yeah, it's tough for technical stuff. You can get inspiration from different, how to say, repositories that that handle localization, right? So often they'll have good tidbits about how how things should be done. And you can use that at least as inspiration or to learn. Often readmes are really good for, for learning something. For sure, yeah. I've definitely, through this whole development process, spent a lot of time going through like GitHub repos for various projects and, and learning them. And uh, that's actually been, you know, it's funny, I know we've talked about before, like maybe your passion isn't order packing slips, but you get really into like all those weird things. And I've kind of been the same with like translations and languages. And uh, for a, a customer I was learning about different forms of, of German, you know, informal versus formal, and can we make that a dialect and that kind of stuff. And like, that's actually really interesting. I didn't know German worked like that. So it was kind of cool to learn about and see how I can incorporate it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, one of the interesting parts about diving into different features. You learn a lot about things that you maybe never would have thought about otherwise. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, good for curious minds, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Another kind of interesting thing I've been thinking about since we talked last, I got an email that the next tiny seed batch is opening. I'm kind of on a whim. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I, I decided to apply. Part of that is that I remember looking a long time ago at it and I felt like I was kind of maybe too far along with the Shopify app to really benefit from it. And I wasn't crazy about some of their terms. I feel like they've actually updated their terms to be really a lot better in my mind. Okay. What type of... If I recall... And I might be thinking of a different, so I, don't quote me on this, but if I recall correctly, I think they had capped the salary you could take from the business to whatever a, an average developer made in your area, which I really didn't like that. Yeah, because I felt like, why am I taking on the headache of running a business if <laughs> like, I'm not going to, they've gotten rid of that and uh, they raised it to a level that I'm fine with and sort of give you the ability to take out more if you choose to. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of people would have just looked at that and gone, hey, this is not why I'm taking on the risk of running my own business, right? Right. Now I think it's like 250000 and you can take dividends out, but they get a small cut of that. That seems totally reasonable to me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what type of, um, how much are they looking to 
generally get of the business when they do these tiny seed things? It looks like, and they just kind of publish all this stuff, so I'm sure it varies slightly, but what they publish is like around 10% of the business um, in exchange for 120000 That's a good deal. Yeah. Looks like they look for about $500 MRR a month as the, as the point where they're interested in investing, which is about where I am. That's a surprisingly large chunk, I guess, but I get they're most likely more investing in the person and that you have something that has a certain level of traction, right? Right, exactly. If you're able to get some people to pay for it, then you must be able to get more. I think that's the idea, yeah. I'm not totally sold on it yet, but it looks really interesting. Obviously, they might never get back to me. I can always choose not to move forward if they do, you know. And so I'm definitely interested in learning more about it. I think it's kind of a cool opportunity. And just looking at their like their roster of advisors, it's sort of every hero in the SaaS space. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you get access to some interesting people, or at least, you know, you get on the radar and they maybe go to these, what are they called? These retreats that they do. That looks like fun. I think you'd get something good out of that. For sure. Yeah. It looks interesting. I'm I'm definitely interested to learn more and we'll see. It would be nice because right now I'm putting my own money into the business, which is fine. But uh, there's definitely some things like I'm looking at like a sponsorship right now, you know, that's several thousand dollars and it's like, I'm going to do it. But (laughs) it would be really nice if I had sort of a business fund to make those decisions easier. Yeah. And you can go a bit bigger from the start, right? I think that's, you know, we've talked about it before, about how you're sort of more careful to spend money when you're bootstrapping. Whereas if you have sort of some investment capital, I'm sure you'd be a bit more gung-ho and willing to yeah, spend on, on things. Yeah, I guess a big part of it is I can sort of afford to take slightly bigger risks. Like maybe the sponsorship I'm looking at that is in the range of like $2,000 a month is great. Maybe it's not, but like... I only have a certain amount of money I'm probably ever going to invest in the business. Like It needs to be a little bit more of a sure thing, whereas I can kind of make those smaller bets with a little bit of a war chest. Yeah, and you don't move on to a new business to use all the money you made on a, doing your existing business or whatever, right? So it has to be worth it in the end. But yeah, cool. That's nice. Yeah, it's good. I'm feeling good about Translate CI. It's getting a decent number of signups at this point. We're getting like two to three a day. And then just the conversion to paid is not good at all. But I'm starting to think about analytics. I really don't have any in the app. Do you use any analytics like Segment or Heap or any of that in your apps? Not really. <laughs> I have all sort of the main revenue-based metrics, of course. But no, conversion metrics is, is one of the things that we had on our goal list for this year to do better than we have before. I used to use Kiss metrics for a long time in the beginning. But it was pretty expensive to what you got. But I've, I've heard a lot of good chatter about Mixpanel. I think that might be, be interesting to look at. Obviously, we have Google Analytics and I've got some funnels set up there. And, but how often I look at them is, <laughs> you know, like when I'm in there doing updating something, I'll, I'll take a quick look. But uh, I should do a better job of that. Yeah, like I have pretty decent analytics set up before someone signs up and then it's like a black box which is ridiculous I'm kind of I realize like I'm making guesses about why or where people are falling off which is not the smart thing to do when I have limited time so it's probably time to get some sort of indication in the app um, I consider just maybe even just throwing events into the database because there's not much of a path through the app right now I mean there's a few buttons here and there I don't think it would be a huge mystery if I just threw maybe five or six events into the database. Yeah, exactly. And then you uh, 
maybe you just increment them every time it's used or, or whatever, right? You can see what people are using the most. And yeah, you know, sometimes we over-engineer or like think bigger than it needs to be. Yeah, it would be quite interesting. I guess the question is if then you have different columns for each event that you're tracking or whether you have like a, an event table where you then throw in different events with timestamps and stuff. So you can then run how long did it take them to go from this event to that event and so forth. Yeah, I already used this package from Spotty called Activity Log. And that's actually for a user-facing thing. So I just kind of keep a log of your translations finished here, you started this, you created this project, and it's like a little activity log. You can use that for anything, and it doesn't have to be connected to a user. So I might just uh, throw it in there. And they just kind of use one activity table, almost a text log. Okay, what was it called? Spotio? Spotty, S-P-A-T-I-E, activity log. Ah, nice. I'll throw that. Are they other? There's these guys in uh, Belgium that do you, uh, all kinds of good things for, for Laravel, right? Yeah, it's ridiculous how much, how many of their packages I use and, and how much money I've given them over the years. But man, it's like, it's crazy. They're one of those companies, like every time they come out with something, like I'm probably going to buy it, but at the very least, like they have enough credit with me. Like I'm definitely going to take a serious look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a good thing to do, right? Somebody else has spent time solving something. Why, why reinvent the wheel? And if it's like a, a reasonable one-time payment and go for it. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I'm sponsoring their head developer's blog this month. That's one of the sponsorships I've been doing. Yeah, so it's been very cool. I'm sure that one gets a lot of traffic as well, right? Yeah, and it's all Laravel nerds, so that's that's great. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I've been playing around in these turbo and um, stimulus packages that the Basecamp team put out. I'm currently upgrading AutoPrinter Pro to the AppBridge 2.0 and may it turning it into a single-page application at the same time. But yeah, because these things have come out sort of recently, this hot wire and turbo, which is part of it, and, and stimulus. It's a lot of fun to rebuild an app. It's kind of frustrating at the same time, right? Because you're not really changing anything. You're just sort of rebuilding something that already works. But it's fun to see how much you can tear out and throw away. And, and it's good practice. Like So now I'm doing it in an environment that I know really well. But if you're going to be building a new app, it's good to or have already tried out the tools and you understand your your hammer and your, your pickaxe and shovel and all that stuff a bit better before you jump into new projects. It's good practice anyway. For sure, yeah. One of the big changes I sort of made when I developed Translate CI was that I make sure that before I push code, I actually write unit tests, which I've always been historically terrible about. That's been really nice because I've been able to refactor stuff along the way and like I feel like for the first time, I actually have like a good code base, which is awesome. That's nice. Yeah. Do you split things out then into smaller chunks because they're easy to test or are you just refactoring because you're there? No, it's usually like what happens is, is I, I get some code ready, a new feature or whatever. I write some tests for it. And then later, if I have to come back and do something, I'll probably refactor it a bit first just to make it easier. So however, whatever that looks like. But knowing that it won't really break because I can test it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's Arjun, one of the developers, has been uh, writing tests for all our existing apps. And it's such a nice feeling to know that they're backed by tests. And it's also the system tests at the moment, but that's you know to check all the main user flows. Also because, because I'm rewriting all the front end of the apps and avoiding refactoring the back end code at the moment as much as possible because then it'll just be become such a bigger task. But it's cool. Like, yeah, you feel happier pushing code, right? When you know it's backed uh, for back sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember with the Shopify app, I had like 
two hour like manual testing process if I was pushing something like really big, you know. Wow. <laughs> had you actually written just, down the steps that you had to go through to test yeah, it? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it just it took it took forever. And I didn't have to go through it very often, but you know, once no. in a while. And uh, yeah, if you rewrote no large parts or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All these testing suites have become pretty pretty quick and pretty good. It's also um, interesting to see like some tests can be pretty flaky as well if they're like a system test where they're testing through the browser. And different, you can use a different selector which will then automatically just pause until it finds that selector and move on instead of you know, saying, oh, you've got to sleep for five, five seconds or something because I know it'll be finished. Yeah, it's quite interesting just to see how smart these systems are. I also saw, saw a fun experiment recently where it'll open up a browser I can't remember if it was a command line tool or a Rails gem or something like this, but basically it was a system to open a browser and then you click it like you would that you want the test to follow and it would be writing the Capybara or like Selenium lines as you click around. So it's it's basically writing the test for you as you click and then you just need to assert what should be seen at these points and stuff. But um, it was pretty cool, like a fun experiment to follow at least because it'll make... You know, writing tests much quicker if you can just click around the screen and then you say, "All right, you should be seeing this at this point." Right? Wow. Yeah, that's great. That would be really useful. I, I don't normally do browser tests because I just find them really difficult to write and they take forever to execute and all this kind of stuff. But that would that would be pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean that's the downside of them, right? They take a long time to execute, but at least for us, it, it makes sense at this sort of initial stage to to have all the user flows down. Like if you can. If you can click around and the right things are showing up and the right things are happening when you click on something, then we're a good part of the way there. And then obviously as we refactor, we'll we'll add unit tests uh, later. That's like an interesting thing with Translate CI versus need A-B testing was like the front end for Translate CI is like the tip of the iceberg. It's like 5% of the code of the application deals with the front. Like there's like three screens in it and there's just so much happening like behind the scenes. So it's really nice. Like I can just kind of do backend stuff for it mostly. I mean, the front end is really just a couple of forms. Okay, I wish that was the case. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we've got all kinds of documents and PDFs and all this type of thing going on. And then you've got an editor where you can edit code, use a code mirror for that. I found a a theme for it so I could get it styled like Shopify's theme editor. So use the same same color theme uh, and stuff. That's fun. But yeah, there's a lot going on. But part of the fun of of using this stimulus framework for, for JavaScript is that it forces you to think in components. So instead of you create sort of a file for a particular page on your application, right? And then you have all the different methods that can get called there. Each stimulus controller sort of has one feature, like it might be your sorting controller. And then you can drop that in anywhere on any page of your app, and it doesn't really matter. You can have one for like tooltips. So as long as you just add the right markup in your in your HTML, then the tooltips will automatically hook themselves up if, if they're there. And yeah, so you just end up writing lots of reusable small pieces of of these stimulus-contained components. It's really nice. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, and one of the things that's always been a pain with jQuery and stuff is that you sort of target a lot on IDs and classes, right? So you, and it ties your HTML. Or it's hard to see in your HTML what is important to your JavaScript, right? So if you change a, a class name or whatever, you might have ruined some JavaScript without knowing it. Whereas stimulus uses these data attributes. So you know exactly, hey, stimulus is using this particular thing because you can automatically see the exact uh, data attribute. So it'll tell you which. It'll be like a controller tooltip. And then you'll have like a, a tooltip target 
will be a button or something like this. But anyway, the nice part about it is when you come back to a view later and you look at it, you know what parts the JavaScript is interacting with exactly. And there's not this sort of hidden meaning behind things. It's quite good. I do remember that, just trying to edit something on the front end, like a design thing and breaking jQuery. So that yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. I love jQuery, but it's oh, me time. Too. Yeah, I'm trying to remove as much of it as possible. I'm, I'm learning the uh, pure JavaScript way of doing things now, which is nice. It's, it's faster too. I use uh, LiveWire everywhere in Translate CI, and that's uh, really nice. I'm sure it's very similar to, uh, what was it, HotWire for Rails? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so it has these turbo frames and turbo streams and stuff. But yeah, and that I think HotWire was sort of was inspired by the whole LiveWire thing. Okay. It is kind of funny. They all sort of have these same inspired by libraries with very similar names across all these frameworks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I guess they will learn from each other and pull out the Yeah, best. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. For once, Rails sort of feels like it's been fighting JavaScript for a long time and now they seem to coexist really nicely again. Rails 7 is just coming out and stuff. So yeah, it's been good. That's cool. Yeah. Otherwise, it's been business as usual. We're getting pretty close to finishing the new website that we've got working on, which is fun. Oh, very nice. And yeah, we're using Shopify for that. But and the whole new OS 2.0 for themes and stuff. But it still does my head in that, that your content lives within the Shopify theme. So if you want to try a different like look or a different theme, you'd lose all your content because it's all buried within the theme itself. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's not a CMS as much, which, yeah, it's a bit frustrating because if you find after working with a theme for a long time that it's not quite what you want, then it's like, oh. <laughs> I got to start again. If you try with a different theme, you you just start with a blank slate again. So, are you doing your new website? Because I remember your old one was a modified Shopify store. You're doing yeah. that again, okay? Yeah, interesting. And I don't know. Like, is it a good idea? <laughs> 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 Who knows? But it, I think it's good to to use the platform, right? To see how it works, and yeah, we'll see. I think my wife uh, wishes it was like Weebly or something else because it's a lot easier just to sort of drag things around and, and drop it around. But I've kind of been on the hunt, so I'm going to start doing this blogging thing. I've been on the hunt for a good blog software that's not WordPress. It's tough. I'm surprised. I feel like I feel like it's really hard to find something that's not WordPress. And it's just, I'm not a fan just because I find it kind of difficult to use. I don't know why. I know there's like a million people that are great at WordPress. I'm not... I've been looking at Ghost. I've used it before. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I've heard good things about Ghost, but I've never tried it myself. I wish like I wish there was just a good like simple blog SaaS for developers. Like I would happily pay 10 or 20 bucks a month for just like a nice looking blog that's non-customizable, whatever. Like however, just one good design and uh, yeah, yeah. SEO optimized and all that would be really nice. Yeah, it's amazing how difficult some things are to find, right? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you think I feel like that would be like everyone does like reminder apps or to-do lists as their first project. I, I feel like a blog thing would be a similar thing, but I haven't found anything <laughs> I really like. Yeah. It sounds easy until you start, right? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Have you tried I don't know, it's maybe a bit controversial these days, but uh, the whole hey hey.world or whatever it's called is like a little mini blogging platform, but it's not you can't customize the styling, you can't do anything really. That sounds kind of good. Yeah, no, I haven't looked at that though, but maybe I should. I might be the last one in the world, but I still use their email. I actually really like that system. So Yeah. I mean, I only sort of tried it out when it first came out, but it seems if you buy into like their, they have certain ways of doing things. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Yeah, it just kind of worked for me. So I've, I've stuck with it. And I think I, I will. Okay. Yeah. I think if you just want something very, very simple, then I think this whole world at Hey would be good. Yeah, it might be good. 
who is your email provider for uh, your apps? Do you use like Gmail or? Well, so I have something called simply.com for my main domain. And that comes with like email. So we have. Oh, Apple nice. Phone. Okay. Yeah. And then I just hook it up to Apple Mail. It's also got this clunky webmail thing, but we don't need that. And then all of the addresses for our apps. So they all have like a, a custom domain and a custom email address. But that's really just an email forward that fires it straight into Intercom. So there's no inbox for those email addresses. So it basically just forwards them into Intercom's inbox. And then our outgoing emails are on uh, SendGrid. But it's very, very low amount of emails that we send out. So it's delivering PDFs and screenshots and stuff. Yeah, Sam, I think I'm on the, I use Mailgun, but I've been on their free plan forever because I just don't send that many emails. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've heard good things about Spark Post, though. I think if I was going to pull something out, I did try them at one point. And the only reason I turned away was because our attachments are too big in some cases because people are exporting, say, 50 PDFs or like 50 orders, invoices, and they get delivered as a zip file. And depending on how many products and how many product images and things like that, then the attachment size can get pretty big. And a lot of them have like a max of like 10 megabyte emails outgoing. Whereas uh, SendGrid had 30 meg, which is, so I needed, I needed the extra, extra sizing. But yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> yeah. The type of things you never think about until you, somebody goes, hey, why am I not getting this email today? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, the fun of running apps. <laughs> yeah. I don't have so much more. What do you got planned? You're moving very shortly. Three weeks and I will be in London finally. There you go. So it's uh, very exciting. Yeah. And they're lifting all their restrictions over there now, right? That's what I hear. Yeah. I don't know if it's too soon or not, but we shall see. I mean, it'll be nice regardless until I get COVID, I guess. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They just announced here in Denmark as well uh, yesterday that they're lifting all the restrictions uh, February 1st. And then it'll be, obviously, they still, if you're going to go see somebody that's sick, if you're going to the hospital or you're going to like an old, old people's home or whatever, then you should still get a test beforehand. And they'll might ask for a mask or whatever, but other than that, it's going to be pretty much uh, yeah. So even with, like today, they had like over fifty thousand new cases for a country of six million or something. It's pretty high. Oh wow, yeah. We're also like extremely good at testing, right? So the more you test, the more you're going to find. But the actual curve for people in hospital has gone down the whole time. That's good. Yeah, it seems like that new variant is a little less serious, even though it's more contagious. That's that's great. Yeah, that was the main thing that they were talking about. At least is. It's just not making people as sick. And of course, people here is like 85% vaccinated or something. So, Oh, wow. That's good, yeah. Yeah. So in that case, those two things combined, they felt it was a good idea. So anyway, not to turn this into a corona podcast, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting to hear how the rest of the world is dealing with it. Here, we're still uh, masks everywhere, at least where I am. I think it varies depending on the state. but uh, It's been the same here. I think it's fine. But it'd be interesting to see how many people continue it afterwards anyway. Yeah, for sure. We had like one month where they lifted all the restrictions and it was really nice. Like uh, that was about a year ago now, but <laughs> that's it. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like, oh, wow, what happened? Over summer yeah. over here, it was, it was pretty normal again. Oh, nice. So, anyway, we'll leave it there and yeah, good luck with the move. I'll Thank talk you. to you uh, on the other side. Sounds good. All right. All right. See Take you. Care, man.